Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, but love comes, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Andrew. It's uh, fantastic to see our kids involved with our service. That was a great job. Um, How many of us have things in our lives that we would love to be able to do, uh, things we'd love to be able to do, things we'd love to be able to experience, things we'd love to be able to have, uh, but there's some sort of barrier that keeps us from being able to have that or experience that. Uh, maybe, maybe, for example, you're, you're like uh, my wife. Uh, she would absolutely love to go on a cruise, right? Would love to go on a cruise. And, and, and when we hear, when friends come, uh, back from cruises in the Caribbean or wherever, and they come back and they tell us all their stories, and, and my wife's like, oh, I, would, I really would love to be able to do that, right? But, and, and, you know, all of it, the, 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 the pools and the, the warm weather and the, the, the food, you don't have to cook for yourself, and, and, and the entertainment, and just all of it is just, is just right up my wife's alley, but, but she has this barrier, and that is that if she gets on any kind of boat, she gets sick. Even the ones with stabilizers, right? And so it's this barrier. She would love to be able to do that. She'd love to be able to experience that, but there's this barrier. And how many of us have things in our lives where there's something we wish that we could have, we would like that, but there's some sort of barrier that hinders us. Maybe, maybe it's uh, in a relationship. Uh, maybe you're in a relationship, and <laughs> you, you, you kind of want to move forward, but there's a barrier. Maybe, it, it's a little, maybe you're having one of those situations like, like Seinfeld ha- had uh, in this one episode where he, he met this girl, and I mean, it's really everything he wanted. She's beautiful and, and funny uh, and available, um, but she just had this really annoying laugh that he just couldn't get past. You know, it just, it just couldn't, couldn't deal with it. It was just this, and it seems so small, but it's just this barrier, right, that we just, just couldn't, couldn't handle it. Or, or maybe, you, uh, uh, maybe you wish that you have always wanted to be a doctor. You've always wanted to help people and all of this, but, but you have this barrier of you, every time you see blood, you pass out. And so you'd love to help people, and, and you've, you know, everything that they do, you just, oh, that, it, you would love it. You know, you, you like the money that they make, you like the, the work that they do, but there's just this barrier that hinders you from being able to do that. 
Well, today we are beginning a new series called Barriers, and what we're going to be looking at is the fact that I think that there are a lot of people in our culture uh, that, that are drawn to many aspects of Christianity. Uh, maybe you are here today, or maybe you're listening to this online, and, and you, you, um, you're, you're attracted to a lot of what Christianity seems to offer. Maybe you have uh, Christians that you really, uh, Christian friends that you really respect, and you've seen how their faith in Jesus has impacted their life in a positive way. Uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've experienced some of Christian community, and, and there's just a lot that you're drawn to, and you would really love to fully embrace the Christian faith, but there are some barriers. There are some barriers that, that hold you back, that hinder you from being able to, to fully embrace that. And what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months is we're going to be looking at some of the most common barriers. What are some of the biggest barriers and even sort of intellectual barriers that people have towards embracing Christianity? Uh, things like, uh, like, like suffering in this world. Right? If, if, if God is a God of love and he's all-powerful, then why is there so much suffering in this world? That, that, that's a barrier. Right? What, why? You don't know what happened to me. And if, if God really is a God of love, why would he allow this to happen to me? So that's a, a barrier. Or, or you know, um, the Bible talks about hell uh, and this idea of, of people going to hell. And, and, and maybe even right now you, you hear me saying this and it's just... Uh, you, you just cringe even hearing the word hell, and you're like, how, how can that be if God is loving? How can he allow and send people to hell and all that? And, and that's just a, a significant barrier for you. Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's how do I, you know, can I really uh, embrace the faith? Hasn't science kind of shown kind of that a lot of the claims of Christianity really aren't true? I mean, is, isn't that what's going on? And so, so we have these barriers that hinder us from fully embracing the faith. And Today, we're going to look at the first of these. We're going to look at the exclusivity of Christianity. Because this is a barrier for a lot of people. And just sort of in its simplest form, what this is, is that within Orthodox Christianity, uh, is this belief that Christianity is the true religion. That, that, it, that it is, that John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's this very exclusive sort of claim that, the Orthodox Christianity says, no, Christianity isn't just one of many religions that work. It's, it's the, the greatest reflection of true reality. It is the truth. And, and I think this exclusivity kind of comes in kind of two forms. There's sort of hard exclusivity and soft exclusivity, but they both kind of end up basically, in the end, they're the same. Hard exclusivity is really kind of what we find, I think, here in, in John here. Uh, what it is is just very black and white. Just very black and white, right? Let me just read this to you here, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Okay, that's simple. Right? And, and, and John, we'll, we'll see here, he's dealing with a specific theological issue. Uh, but the broader principle here is, look, if... If, if you aren't coming from a position of orthodox Christian teaching on Jesus, then what you have to say is not from God. Very black and white. Either it's you follow Jesus, it's from God, or what you're saying is not from God. Very black and white. Right? If you like black and white, you'll love John. John is just black and white all the time. He's just black, white, right? Uh, so that's kind of hard exclusivity. There's also, I think, what we find in Scripture, soft exclusivity. We sort of see that in, in Paul's interaction in Athens where he's talking with Stoics, and he actually affirms, he says, you know what, actually, you Stoics, 
you're on to something. It's not like everything you're saying is totally messed up. You know, he says there is, there is some truth into what you're saying. In particular, he says that you, you do seem to understand the imminence of God, that God is close, that he's near, that he's present. Right, so, so he'll affirm that, that there is some truth in, in other religions, but ultimately he's going to say, but look, here's the, here's the truth. Although you might find that, ultimately you need to realize that it's all pointing towards Jesus. And if you don't see that, then, then, then you're missing it. Then where you are, it, it, it's really not enough. You really do need to come to understand where this is all going. So it's a little bit softer. It acknowledges that there's, there are good things and there's truth in other worldviews and perspectives, but still, at the end of the day, it's saying, look, you, you, you need Jesus. Christianity is the superior religion, the superior worldview. Right? So that, that's exclusivity. And, and so, you know, a lot of people, this is a huge barrier, isn't it? This is a huge barrier. And, and, and I think it's a barrier. We're, we're going to look at three reasons why this is a barrier to people. Three reasons. First of all, it just seems unreasonable. Uh, it just seems unreasonable to hold exclusively to your belief. It seems unreasonable. Um, secondly, it seems unnecessary. It just doesn't seem necessary to hold exclusively to your, uh, your, your beliefs. Uh, and, and then thirdly, it's just plain divisive. Right? So this is a barrier. reason why somebody hesitates to embrace the faith is because it seems unreasonable, it seems unnecessary, and it seems divisive. So, so first of all, it seems unreasonable. Right? It's just plain unreasonable. What sort of rational, reasonable person would honestly think that their religion is really the only way. I mean, how can they possibly say that in, in this pluralistic society that we live in where we are exposed to so many, there's so many different religions and so many different perspectives, many of which seem to have a lot of really good things to say. How, how can you rationally say that your religion is the right religion over against these other religions? I mean, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if you grew up like in some, you know, you know, backwater, isolated part of the world, like maybe you grew up in Wyoming, you know, uh, Pastor Kevin, where you only knew two things, cows and Jesus, right? I mean, that was it. I mean, if that's all you grow up with is cows and Jesus, then you think, you know, all there is to eat is beef and all there is to follow is Jesus, you know? I mean, if you grew up in sort of an isolated context, I can understand that. And, and, and you know, but, but today in our, in, our, in our world, you know, it's, it's, we're exposed to so many different, Ideas, maybe, maybe 300 years ago, right, when, when in, in Western Christendom there were parts of, 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 of society were much more isolated. And so, again, you might grow up and all you'd know is Christianity. And so it would make sense that you would think that that's, that that's the only way. But not today, right? I mean, there's just so many, different, so many different perspectives. How can you rationally believe that? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, what we need to realize is it though certainly there, you know, if you grew up in Wyoming, although really it wasn't as isolated as a lot of people think it is, but if you grew up 300 years ago, certainly you might have grown up in a very isolated society where all you know is Christianity. But one of the things we need to realize is that that is not the culture that John is writing to. John's actually writing to, to Christians here who are in a very pluralistic society. The Rome, Roman world was every bit as pluralistic as our society is today. There were all kinds of different beliefs and all kinds of different religions. And, and, and so ironically, the, the sort of pluralism of the Roman world didn't snuff out Christianity. It was precisely that pluralistic world that was actually the soil in which Christianity grew. So we might say, well, how can that be? How can that be? I mean, how? It just doesn't, it's not rationally, it doesn't make sense. How can you believe that yours is true when all, there's all these other perspectives? And, and I just want to 
I just want to throw this out to you. Here's what I want to say. If it is, and you've heard me say this, those of you who have been here before, many in different forms, if it is unreasonable to believe that your religious beliefs are the right religious beliefs over and against everybody else, then everybody is unreasonable. If, you, if it's unreasonable to believe that your religious beliefs are right and everybody else's religious beliefs are wrong, then everybody is unreasonable because everybody has a religious belief that they think is true over and against everybody else. Now, we, we need to st- take a step back here and say, okay, well, what do you, what do you mean? Everybody, not everybody's religious. Well, let's think about what religion really is in its essence. We often think of religion as simply being a set of practices, right? Religious practices, things that you do. Maybe you go to church or you, you read your Bible or, uh, you know, you've got a bar mitzvah. You've got you've just one of these kind of religious activities that people engage in. But we, what we need to remember is that these religious practices at least initially, all grew out of a worldview, out of religious beliefs. The religion at its essence provides answers to life's biggest questions. And so when you come to realize that what religion is actually is, is it's, a, it's a worldview. It's a worldview. It's, it's the lens, the glasses through which you see the world. And when you realize that's what religion is, then you realize everybody has a religion. Everybody has glasses that they wear. Everybody has beliefs that they believe are true over and against everybody else. Even if, even if what you believe is that all religions are equally valid, that is a belief that you believe is true over and against those who disagree with you. Right, so if it's unreasonable uh, to believe that your religion is the right religion, well, then it's also unreasonable to believe that it's unreasonable for people to believe that their religion is the right way. Because that belief itself is a religion, a religious belief that you believe is right, and if everybody disagrees with you, they're just wrong. So if it's unreasonable to believe that your belief is true, then everybody's unreasonable. Let, let me kind of put it a different way. You may have heard the, uh, the parable of the king and the elephant. Okay, this is a parable that's often used to sort of explain this sort of pluralistic worldview. And the idea here is that uh, this king wants to teach everybody in his court about religious truth and, and what, what its nature really is. And so he, he has an, a big elephant come in, and he invites three blind men to come in. And he asks the blind men to all go up and touch the elephant and then tell everybody what they think an elephant is like. And so the first blind man goes up and, and he, he touches the elephant and he says, oh, well, the elephant's like a, you know, like a tree, a strong, a strong sturdy tree. And, and this is because he's kind of wrapped his arms around the legs or something like that. And then, and then the, second, the second blind man says, no, 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 that's, that's not what an elephant is like. Uh, an, an elephant is like a plow with shears. And this is because he's touched the, the trunk and the tusks. And then the third blind man says, no, 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 that's not what an elephant is like. An, an elephant is, is like a long, slender bush. And, and, of course, this blind man has been touching the elephant's tail. And so then the king goes on to explain. He says, see, this is a parable for the different religions. Different religions, uh, they, they, all, you know, they all have kind of a partial view. They just have a partial, a partial view, and that's why they're different. They're all kind of looking at the same thing, but from a different perspective. Now, of course, what's the problem with this parable? You see, the problem is, if everybody is blind, then how come the king can see the elephant? How come the king has the perspective that says, oh, this is really what an elephant looks like? You see, 
the, the pluralist, what they're claiming is that they have the very perspective that they're saying other religions don't have. They're saying all other religions, they, they just kind of see a piece of it, but, but I have the big perspective. I see the big picture. I see that they're really just looking at a part of who God is. And I'd say, look, if we're all blind, how does the king know he even brought in an elephant in the first place? You see, everybody has a belief that they think is the belief, even if your belief is that all religions are the same. That's a belief you believe is true, but you think everybody else is wrong if they don't believe that. So, you see, pluralism is closet exclusivism. It seems very inclusive, but it's really just as exclusive as everything else. So you might say, okay, all right, okay, so I get it. So maybe it's reasonable to believe that your, your religion is the right religion, um, but, but it just seems unnecessary, right? It just seems unnecessary. Why, why do you have to believe that Jesus and Christianity is, is the truth? It just seems unnecessary because really at the end of the day, aren't all religions the same anyway? I mean, they're kind of really just all the same at the end of the day, isn't that right? Well, what I would say is that if the first objection is logically questionable, the second objection is empirically questionable. Because any sort of cursory study of the world's religions will show you that they're not the same. And, and they're not just different in, in, in sort of cosmetic differences, like just sort of on the outside. But at the very core, there are significant differences between the major world's religions. And so within Christianity, Christianity is not like all other religions, and there are some core fundamental significant differences. And I'm just going to highlight three that, that emerge uh, from this text. Um, first of all, what emerges that is central to the Christian faith um, is that the founder of the religion, Jesus Christ, is divine, the divine son of God. If that's part of orthodox Christian belief, that Jesus is the son of God. He's, it, we, we find this... Um, Right in verse, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world uh, that we might live through him. Right? And, and in the gospel of John, right, he sort of unpacks this um, even more fully in the gospel of John, just the very beginning of the gospel of John. I had it marked here. He unpacks this even further. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he goes on to say that the word became flesh. So it, it, it's clear within Orthodox Christian teaching, Jesus is, he's not just one of many different teachers. And so you've you got to understand, of course, you know, if Christians believe that Jesus is really the divine son of God, and, that, and that's just, that's not what in the other world's major world religions, that's just not something that they claim. The, the, the founders are, are all uh, human beings who have been enlightened, had some sort of revelation from God, something along that. But they don't claim that, that he's actually God, the divine son of God. And so, of course, if a Christian believes that, how can you not hold what Jesus says above other teachers, right? I mean, it, it would be like, you know, if you're in a foreign country and, and they, they send to you uh, a, an ambassador from the United States, and then they send you, you know, the secretary of state, and then they send the vice president, and then, and then they send the president... Are you really just going to take what all those other people said is the same? How much more so if you really believe Jesus is the divine son of God? Of course you're going to. So anyway, right. So, so but, but this shows, again, that this is simply, this is completely different than other religions. This is one way in which Christianity is unique, is that claims that Jesus is, is divine. Second thing that emerges 
in terms of the uniqueness of Christianity in, in this passage uh, is, is, is how we relate to God. And this is essentially how Christianity says we relate to God, is that we are accepted by God on the basis of grace, not on the basis of what we do. We are accepted by God on the basis of his grace, not on the basis of what we do. And, and this, this is counterintuitive, right? I mean, th- th- this is not how most people think about religion. We, we tend to think of religion as, well, there are certain things that I need to do in order to get God to accept me, right? There are things I need to do. I need to go to church. I need to read my Bible. Uh, I need to be nice to my grandmother. I need to do these things in order to get God to accept me. And, and it makes sense, right? I mean, because isn't that how the world works? That seems, in general, how the world works. I mean, the world doesn't operate on grace. I mean, you, you don't, you know, get to, into Harvard on the basis of grace. Right? You don't, you, you, your job, they don't pay you. On the basis of grace, you have to do something. Uh, and if you, you know, you, you, how many of you, I got a new job. <clears throat> well, what do you do? I don't do anything. And they just pay me. Like, what? No, I mean, our, our whole world is based on you have to do something in order to be accepted. I mean, in relationships, this is often the way it is. It's not true. I mean, if you don't perform, if you don't act the way somebody wants you to act, then you, you might not be accepted, right? So, I mean, that just seems, so it seems like that would be the way it is with God, but Christianity is completely the opposite. And we find this in verse, verse 10, I'm, I'm waving my arms so much that my pages are turning. I need to calm down a little bit. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. You see, in, in, in virtually every other way of thinking, it's like you need to love God to get God to love you. But in Christianity, it's no, 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 no. No, God loves you irrespective of what you've done. And, and so, I, I, as I always say, you know, we come to church, we don't come to church to get God to love us. That's how most people think. I need to go to church to get God to love me and to accept me. We don't come to church to get God to love us. You know why we come to church? We come to church to get us to love God. The problem isn't getting God to love us. The problem is getting us to love God. And so we come to church to be wooed by God, to to, to give God an opportunity to reveal himself to us and to win us to him. You don't go to church to get God to love you. You go to church to get you to love God because Getting God to love you is the problem because he loves you on the basis of his grace. And, of course, the more you get that, the more you come to receive the grace of God, it will change the way you live your life. Oh, it'll change the way you live your life. You'll you'll begin to live differently, and, and, and that does matter. Then the way that you live your life becomes evidence that you've really received the grace of God. But it isn't that you're doing those things to get God to love you, because God just loves you on the basis of his grace. And that is very different from virtually every other worldview. Third, third difference, and I'll try to make this one quick, is, is, is that within uh, Christianity, uh, or well, in most other uh, worldviews, salvation involves escape from this world. But in Christianity, salvation is ultimately the renewal of this world. 
You see, in most other religious worldviews, salvation is escape from this world. And that comes in a couple of different forms. In sort of Eastern thought, um, the escape from the physical world is really, it's a matter of realizing that it's all an illusion. It's a matter of realizing that the distinction between the physical and the spiritual is kind of an illusion. So, you know, pain and pleasure and whatnot is, is kind of an illusion that you need to kind of overcome. And if you can do that, then you'll kind of escape from that. So that's one way in which you escape from the physical world. Then within a lot of Western thought and Western religion, uh, really it's a matter of escaping this world, escaping, uh, escaping the flesh, that the, that the physical world is evil and bad and, and we, you know, we need to get away from it. And, and this is actually what emerges in this passage, that it seems that within the early Christian community, some of this, it's really sort of a platonic view, uh, a Gnostic view that says that the physical world is evil had crept into the church, and so this is what he's getting at. They, they had come to believe that, well, because the physical world is bad, then Jesus couldn't really have become human. You know, he, he kind of, maybe it was just kind of his spirit. He, he probably just seemed like he was a human. This is docetism. It just seemed like he was a human, but he wasn't really a human. And, and this is what John is attacking here. He says, you must recognize that, that Jesus came in the flesh, has come in the flesh, He's saying, no, 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 no. God came to this world to redeem this world because he cares about this world. So you, you, you see, this is very different than, than most other religions, and they think of salvation, it, this is key. It, it, for most people, they think that, that salvation is your spirit going to heaven when you die. But that's actually not what Christianity teaches is ultimate salvation. Ultimate salvation is God renewing this world and us living in this world. This is the whole idea. I mean, when Jesus, you know, salvation for Jesus, I don't know if you realize this, it's not like he died and his spirit went to heaven. That's not what we celebrate on Easter, is it? We don't celebrate Jesus died, but his soul went to heaven. No, we celebrate that he rose from the grave. And that points to the reality that, that God's plan is to renew and to restore this world, that, that our ultimate home in the age to come is actually here. You'll be able to come to Rivervale Community Church. You will. You'll be able to come here in the age to come. Uh, it might look a little bit different. I think it might be redeemed a little bit. I am sure that the 1970s paneling in the lobby, uh, God's going to redeem that, right? This is going to get a facelift for sure. But see, this is, this is very different. I mean, even the whole debate about, well, there's many ways to get to heaven, aren't there? Well, let's make sure we're even talking about going to the, the same place in the first place. So you see, it's very different. The, the, uh, Christianity is, is unique. You can't say they're all the same. This is what I'm saying. So, so the objection here is that it's unnecessary to believe in only Christianity because they're all the same. What we see is, well, they're really not all the same. All right, and this leads to the third objection. At this point, some of you are thinking, okay, fine. Enough of your fancy theology, right? I mean, whatever. Okay, fine. So they're not all the same. You know, gotcha. It's not unreasonable and all that. Okay, fine, but... Let's just get practical here for a minute, Pastor Kevin, and let's just acknowledge this, that when people hold exclusively to their beliefs, it is divisive. It's just plain divisive. And I think that that's the best objection. Because isn't that true? Isn't it true that, that dogmatic belief in one religion is really the source of a lot of division in this world? I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've done in, our, in modern culture to sort of remedy this 
is what we've said is, okay, look, let's separate, let's make religion, let's uh, quarantine it to the private sphere. So let's separate your private life from your public life so that we can keep, you know, the wars from going on. So you keep your religion and your religious beliefs to yourself, and you don't bring them into the public sphere. You don't bring them into the workplace. You don't bring them into the public forum, right? You keep them to yourself. And I was reminded of that perspective just last week. I went to a meeting, an informational meeting for parents put on by the school district about a policy change that they're looking to implement. And at the beginning of this whole discussion, the person who was running the discussion said something to the effect of, hey, look, this is not the place for religious views, right? We all have different religious views. This is not the place for it, right? Now, again, I, I just want to at least point out the inconsistency of this. Let's go back to what I said earlier because, you see, when, when that person says uh, you can't bring your religious beliefs into the public forum, that itself is a religious belief that you're bringing into the public square. The belief that, no, you can't allow other religious beliefs to come in here, that is a religious belief that you're bringing into the, into the public square, and not only are you bringing it in, but then you're also, you're, it's also dictating what other religious beliefs are allowed in and not in, right? So, okay, whatever. But even, even having said that, I still get where this guy was coming from. I understand. I, I get it. I, I realize that, that when people start bringing their religious beliefs, it just gets really, really divisive. And, and, I, and I actually think that this whole idea of, of privatizing your core convictions and keeping them to yourself and keeping those desires to yourself, I actually think it would work. I really do. I, I think it works. I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's a great solution. Uh, and here's why I think it's a great solution for society. I think it's a great solution because I've seen it work in other societies as well. This idea that, you know, what's really important to you, you keep that to yourself, and I'll keep what's really important to me, I'll keep that to myself, and, you know, let's not try to to interact on that because that's just going to get too dangerous. I've seen, you know, I've I've seen it work to say, let's just tolerate our differences and just kind of leave them where they are. I've seen that work in other societies, in much smaller societies, You know what societies I'm talking about? Marriage. Honestly, how many marriages do you know of? And honestly, maybe you're in one. Where what holds your marriage together is tolerance. Right? You you know, you've got your core convictions and desires and beliefs and They've got their core convictions and desires and beliefs. And you've discovered that if you bring them to the kitchen table, it just gets ugly. You want this, you want this. So what do you decide to do? Yeah, well, let's privatize it. And let's just tolerate each other. So we can, we can live under the same roof, right? And, and, and you kind of keep to yourself. Really, you just kind of live separate lives. Um, but you can kind of live under the same roof and just sort of tolerate each other, right? And it works, but it comes at a price, doesn't it? Because what's really going on in that marriage? It's just surviving. It's just surviving. You see, when you, when you start saying, well, you keep your, your, what you desire to yourself, and I'll keep what I desire to myself, and we'll just try not to fight about it, you're just surviving, and it can work. You can, marriage can last for 50, 60 years. You're just surviving. Same thing I think would probably be true for society. But here's the question. 
What if you are crazy enough to believe that we weren't meant to have marriages that just survive? We weren't meant to have a society that just survives. What if you're crazy enough to believe that we were actually meant to have marriages and a society that thrives? Then I would suggest to you, I, I think that we're going to need more than tolerance. You're going to need more than just individual rights and tolerance. You see, that, that, that's, what this, that's what makes it survive, is that your ultimate value is individual rights and tolerance. Tolerance is your policy, and individual rights is your core value. And if that's your core value, and tolerance is your policy, well, then you can survive. But if you really want to thrive in your marriage, you're going to need more than that, right? I mean, again, isn't that what we do in our marriage? Well, look, my rights, I'm going to keep what I got to myself, and you keep, and we're just going to tolerate each other, and, and that works if you want to survive. But if you want your marriage to do more than just survive, and if you want society to do more than just survive, you're going to need more than individual rights as your core value and tolerance as your core policy. You know what you need? Your core value must be individual sacrifice. And your policy must be love. Your core value is individual sacrifice, and your core policy is love. I mean, we all know this. Intuitively, we all know this, don't we? <laughs> that what would really make a marriage thrive is individual sacrifice. We know this. We, something, everybody knows this. That if you really would just give of yourself completely, somehow, somewhere in the back of our minds, we know that, that this, that this could, could work. So you see, if you, if, you want, if you want to just survive, then you go with the religion of tolerance. And you hold to that exclusively. But if you want a marriage that thrives, you've got to hold to Jesus. Because you see, there is no other worldview that provides the resources for this. Because what is at the heart of the Christian faith? That God is sacrificial love. The heart of the, of the Christian faith is that God... God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. He said, this, this is at the core of who God is. You see, and what he goes to show us then is this, is that because this is who I am, because sacrificial love is at the core of who I am, what that means is that if you die to yourself, it actually leads to life. You see, no other religion can give you the basis for actually believing that. See, the, the problem is that the, the, reason, the reason why we resort to tolerance and individual rights is, here's why, we don't really believe that death leads to life. That's why. We don't, we don't really believe that death leads to life. Sadly, many Christians, many of us, we don't always live as if death leads to life, do we? We don't. We don't always do this, and so we, we find ourselves in our marriages, fighting for our own individual rights and instituting a policy of tolerance. And then, and then in our society, we, 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 we fight for our rights and we, impose, we, we look to tolerance, right? And, 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 and we, we kind of say to ourselves, well, you know, I've got to fight. I've got to fight for my rights and I've, I've got to fight for Jesus, right? How many of us feel like, I've got to fight for Jesus, right? And we've we got to fight for Jesus in our society, Right? we got to fight for Jesus. Listen, 
Jesus never tells us to fight for him. Jesus never tells us to fight for him. You know what he tells us to do? Die with him. Right? The soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And, and, and Peter's like, wait a minute, you can't, you can't kill him. He's the, he's the Messiah. So he pulls out his sword, and what does is, what is Jesus say? Put the sword away. He's saying, Peter, you don't fight for me. You die with me. How many of us find ourselves fighting for Jesus? What would it look like? What would happen if Christians really started to die, not fight against society, but die for society? What if we start with our marriages, right? Let's start there. Let's start small. Uh, What if Christians, right, instead of fighting against your spouse, what if you died for your spouse in everything that you do? And, And what if in society, instead of fighting against society, what if we died for society? What if we gave ourselves for them? And then we were thinking, no, Kevin, we got to fight for Jesus. Because if we don't fight for Jesus, then, then you know, the world's going to come and, and attack us. And, 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 and the body of Christ is going to die. But what happens when the body of Christ dies? What is Easter all about? You cannot kill the body of Christ. You can't kill Jesus. So as Christians, you see... We're not called to fight for Jesus. We're called to die with Jesus. Now, listen, I'm not saying that as Americans living in a democracy that we can't, you know, uh, we shouldn't voice our opinions and exercise that right to voice our opinions and how we vote and and even in the public forum that we should should do that. But we need to realize that that that's just part of, of, of living in a democracy. That's not really a part of being a Christian. You see, a Christian, a Christian ultimately sees the importance of individual rights, but realizes that the ultimate value isn't individual rights, it's individual sacrifice. He sees that that's, that's what it really means to be a Christian. What would happen? What would happen if, if, if we started with Christians giving of themselves dying of their, of their own desires for society. Well, what would happen if we started to do this? And, and what, what, what would happen if, if others started to see Christians really giving their lives for the sake of others? What if they started to say, I think I see something in that. You see, if you just want your marriage to survive, and if you just want society to survive, then you should hold exclusively to the religion of tolerance. But if you want your marriage to thrive, and you want your society to thrive, you have to hold exclusively to tolerance. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you. That you are a God of grace. We praise you that on the cross, you have given us a glimpse of true reality. And that is that you are a God of sacrificial love. You have shown us that if we will put our faith and our trust in you, that death will really lead to life. 
And so, God, I pray. I pray that you would give us the faith to look to you and to no one else because you are the only hope. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.